that these are not the best of times They're the only times I've ever known And I believe there is a time for meditation In cathedrals of our own Now I have seen that sad surrender in my lover's eyes And I can only stand apart and sympathize For we are always what our situations hand us See the sadness or euphoria Welcome, welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy And Alex Sokolow we're going to have a great guest on today. We've had her on before, Kate Muth, one of the like profoundly creative people uh, on the East End. And Alec, we were just talking about Kate a little bit and talking about the fact that, um, you know, maybe best known for the performance art that she creates, very avant-garde, incorporating nature and sometimes uh, homes and stuff into these amazing uh, tableaus that you're able to walk through and these little vignettes and everything. But she also, I mean, in this pandemic time, of course, is, is really taking it out and, and inspiring others to be creative. Yeah, which is, which is really cool. I'm excited to hear about, about that because, uh, you know, we all, we all tell stories, right? We tell stories in all aspects of our life. Uh, some of us do it professionally, but we all do it from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep with what we wear, how we speak, how we present ourselves, and the lives that we create. The pandemic has flattened a lot of that for most of us. Um, you know, it feels like we're all living one story right now, but that's not really the case. Uh, it's just become a little bit more difficult, I think, to um, to platform things, to find uh, avenues to share your stories. Uh, you know, for a lot of people. So I, I'm really excited to hear about that. But you and I have also talked to a lot of writers or artists during this who are perfectly happy, kind of cocooning and just doing their own art. I mean, some people can't get, get a grip at all, but some people are really happy just kind of cocooning and doing their own art. What makes Kate different is that she wants to bring everyone to their own highest creative self. Right, okay, which, which is gonna be great to hear her, her talk about. I think it's really, it's a process conversation. You know, artists and writers who, who are navigating this period of time uh, are doing it with process. They're doing it with, I wake up in the morning, and I know I do this. I wake up in the morning. I have uh, goals uh, for my day's writing, and um, I hit that. So yeah, nothing changes on that level. Uh, but what does change, I think, is is uh, that that kind of gnawing fear that we're all kind of uh, doing the one hand clapping right now, and that like whatever you're doing isn't going to be heard and uh, or seen. So I think that how Kate is uh, kind of the conduit to that is fascinating, while also re reiterating the, the very process that she's uh, encouraging her congregation to pursue themselves. And the next generation, yeah. and, the, and the next and the next. I mean, from from you know young people to, to the very, very young. We're gonna bring uh, on our guest, Kate Muse. Kate, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm, I mean, if I could wake up to the two of you talking of so kindly every morning I would be in a very good place thank you that's such nice commentary I really it means the world oh, thank oh, you for sure and you are it looks like you're in a bunker college kids room so essentially it is a bunker it smells right. it, everything <laughs> Nice. My husband is upstairs on his own call and, um, you know, there's a million voices going on his. So I'm like, I need quiet. So I'm in a bunk. <laughs> and Kate, Kate is married to Josh Gladstone, who's artistic director of the John Drew Theater at Guild Hall. So it's a very artistic family. And now your son, August, is continuing in the creative path. Oh, no. Right. Yeah. Well, we're really proud of him because he's really, uh, really found himself in this and he really is a writer and you know even though he was a child actor and um he was never like that broadway baby actor he was always very he always got like called in and, and cast as like the kid who who dies <laughs> or the sick kid on the sofa with needing you know the cough syrup or whatever um and, and i remember at one point he was like seven or eight he goes like why does my character always die <laughs> and i'm like because you're very serious you know he's got this this gravitas to him um but so it makes perfect sense that he's a writer and it's really lucky during a pandemic because 
you know, at Emerson College where he attends. I mean, it's a brilliant creative school. And, um, but, you know, their, their theater, their acting students are really, I mean, everywhere suffering, right? But August can do his work and he's been doing his work. And like Alec was talking about, like August has his discipline. Um, and if he, for whatever reason, misses a couple days of any kind of writing, he's off and he knows he's off. And he's like, I just got to get, you know, I haven't written for a couple of days. I'm not feeling great. Yeah, really he is a writer. And, and I, I, I still have those feelings. And um, I think it was uh, uh, Tony Bennett that, that he, he would do scales every day. I practice scales every day. And he once, I, I once read where he said, if I don't do scales one day, I know it. If I don't do it two days, the band knows it. And if I don't do it three days, the audience knows it. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. It's so true. And it's interesting to apply that, Alec, to what you, you were saying before about, um, you know, people who have a practice, who had a practice before the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, essentially still have a practice, but still like, what does it mean now? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's really interesting. And, and I think for me, that with the creativity thing, even before the pandemic, helping humanity understand the power they hold when they can unleash and tap tap into and unleash their own creativity. I, I don't like hearing anybody say, I'm not a creative person. Everyone is a creative person in some way. They just don't know what it, I mean, it could be how you arrange your furniture. It could be, you know, your landscaping. It could be how you parent, um, how you approach life, right? And, and, and what it actually trips into without getting too uh, philosophical about it, but it does trip into that, that because we have these abstract brains, and because we can conceive of our own death, we we like to think that what we're doing is going to outlast us. And and in most walks of life, what you do uh, may last a day, may last a week. But when you talk about a child, or you talk about a work of art, or you talk about a building, or you talk, those are things that you're creating in the hope that it kind of lives longer than you do. Immortality. It's about immortality. Yeah. Creativity is in a lot of ways. Every time you make any of us does something creative, it's sort of like laughing in the face of death. You know, it's like defying death, another- And I, I would also then add, uh, it's also an inherent act of bravery. Uh, and and I I think about that with writing is, is that it takes brave, I, I find this, it, it takes bravery. You need to be brave to write, write well, write authentically. And some, some days I feel that and I feel like I'm going into the noble war and some days I, it just, it breaks me. And um, I, I just go through the motions, but I, I think that even- But you have to do your sales every day. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's a real thing. And, and so um, I think th these are all like such important things to, to be chewing on right now, you know, the beginning of, of 2021, but a uh, new president, vaccines on the way. Hopefully by the end of 2021, we will all be back in a more uh, social life. Um, but, but stories have to get told. So let's talk maybe about what stories are you trying to help, uh, promote right now? Yeah. I mean, both, uh, personally with the uh, education aspect, but also with your own business, Neopolitical Calgary. Thank you. I, you know, I think for me always, any of the theater I've made, we, we uh, I always have to say we with our company, because even though it's mostly my devised work, there's such a team and I can't, can't do it alone um, ever. It's such, theater is such a big, unwieldy, expensive uh, hobby, <laughs> um, a craft. And um, so even before the pandemic, the stories I cared about telling always very much came from me and, and the way I was seeing the world and what I cared about, whether it was working out my father's stuff or working out my religion stuff trying to shake that off, uh, whatever it might be, it, it always had to come that way for me. Otherwise, I, I felt inauthentic. Otherwise, it also didn't really interest me. Like I, as an actor, I can get hired on anything and I will love doing it. But if I'm making the story, it's really important that it comes from me authentically. Otherwise, I, I'm not interested. The concerns me how that ties into sort of the, the world and the stories that now are coming due to the pandemic is that, um, like you said, Alec, it was just perfect. Like, you know, some days our creativity is really, really tiny and small or crappy. And some days it's really big. And I feel like I love you're, you're inspiring because having that ritual, whatever it is, 
it's really important and healing and helpful. And I feel like most of the time I'm in this like nebulous cloud of, of just trying to like find my way through the fog. That's how I, I've been experiencing COVID. Right, and, and, and but just to kind of second that, uh, you know, a much better writer than me kind of said that writing is, is, is kind of, you're, you're in a pitch black tunnel and you have this little lamp that only can see a foot in front of you. But you got to keep going. Yeah. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. Like have faith, like having faith, right? Because because you, you somehow have to believe that what you're doing is going to lead you to that light. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, like the bigger light. You know, storytelling. Um, I you know don't know your histories. Uh, I know Bridgie's more, but but also storytelling. I firmly believe it's been my experience. I've seen it. it saves lives. Like when you have the courage or uh, to be on your voice about your story or you feel heard, um, it can change everything in a life. And I think for me, using that darkness, because that's what it feels like, creativity, um, whether it is like the next project I'm making or these education opportunities is all about uh, gearing up meaning gearing up with our armor, not, not the kind that makes our heart unavailable, but the kind that protects us with my tribe, which is anybody who wants to get through that darkness and get to the other side. And we're all putting on our, our heart armor and we're taking hands and we're going, let's do it. Let's march through that forest and slash down the vines and the weeds and there's light over there. And I think that that's what storytelling is and what it does and why it matters to me to open the door for so many other people. And look, I'm not doing anything. I'm just a conduit. I'm just like going right. here. Well, let's talk, let's like, talk about these programs. Let's talk about the January girls. Let's talk yeah. about- Yeah, January yeah. girls. And also right around now, you're usually planning Zima or some kind of outdoor cool yeah. quest. So, yeah. yeah what, what's going on with January girls and Zima? Uh, so January girls, <laughs> we have five Sundays this year for the first time. So our first January girls, got rescheduled to March 14th due to weather. Um, we're just outdoors and, and it's all, you still gotta be masked up certain, we're locking it off at 26 participants, but it's a free workshop. It is this year so generously sponsored by Jerry Sandler. Well, can a little bit about the mission of January Girls first? Like what, who's the mission of January Girls is to get intergenerational female identifying uh, people into a space of art and friendship. And it is uh, ideally in my, what I would like to see is that conversations happen via the engine of art where young women, young girls, elderly women, uh, people who are mothers, people who are alone, find each other and realize that there's an allyship, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter your financial strata, that, I find that women have to find each other and cross these BS social construct boundaries to know that this is how it's gonna happen that we save the world, is we have to find each other and we have to work together and we have to not be boxing each other into silos. So it's really about bringing women and girls together. But that also goes to something that I've long believed, which is that um, storytelling and, and the myth making around storytelling really does simplify into one base. Every story is the same basic story and see the story of connection or a story of isolation. And so uh, yeah. the idea of, of trying to reaffirm the connection through those stories, I think is, is endemically uh, human. I mean, that's, that is, we are better together. Um, so. But it's also, it sounds like it's also breaking down the constraints of uh, women's archetypal visions of each other. Like she's the bitch, she's the mom, she's the boss lady, she's the princess and being- Because all of us are all of those things, right? right? And, um, and also that siloing off is not healthy for uh, a thriving society or community. We have, especially in the East End, it's a very big problem, this siloing off. You know what I mean, right? By like, cultures or or financial placement of things and um so the more that we find just like this conversation what we we're laughing about before about the fluidity of how you guys roll with your conversation which i love so much because uh, that's how my brain goes <laughs> um but i feel like when we're creating 
is when people, boys, girls, women, feel safest to sort of tell their stories or hear one another's stories. Um, and that's why we base all of our work on the process through art, whatever genre it might be. And um, because that's where we generally feel the most comfortable to share our stories. And in that sharing of the stories is then when we can come together um, because we stop seeing each other. We have like these epiphanies about each other um, and it really undoes all of this, this blockage in our mind about who we Zima, project kind of other people. Outdoor exploration, theatrical quest event where people can go on these like hunts and you have these interesting mythical creatures guiding them with riddles, almost like Gollum at every turn. What are you doing in the pandemic? Are you continuing that? Well, it was sort of already socially distanced before that was even a thing that we knew. I think this is something we're supposed to be casting Alec in too, isn't it? From the last time we- Absolutely, I've been standing on the corner uh, in Amagaza for like the last nine months waiting to get discovered. <laughs> Don't put the gauntlet down unless you really mean it, Alec. I am so down. Right. I am so down. So I got my coat warmers. I doing? got my hand warmers. You're in. I am ready. You're in. We're probably going to do it again. Like, this is the nebulae I'm talking about of like landing on a date because what is the calendar anymore? What is time? What day is it today? Um, so, I'm. that's what I'm finding really hard is not necessarily doing the work as much as like being able to put my finger on a date and go, that's when that is. Um, so, we'll be doing it again. Um, you know, knock wood that everything is okay to, to do it. Um, we're big on, uh, you know, masking and all the protocols and um, it has to be safe. Um, uh, you know, my husband is an at-risk person. Um, I've got dead friends and dead family from COVID. Nobody needs to get sick just because we want to have a little fun. By, by the way, that, that was my pickup line when I used to cruise the bars. What? Nobody has to get sick. <laughs> we just want to have a little fun. <laughs> How did that work out for you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm divorced, so I don't know how it worked out. <laughs> well, back, backing up a little, like into like the darkest, leanest periods of the of the last year of of you know going through the pandemic and everything. You've done a lot of really creative things, I guess, not just to keep yourself busy, but to keep others around you engaged and creative. I remember there was like a Mother's Day thing where where you created cards and poems and. And I think you had other people creating them as well and putting them together. So you you kind of, like I said before, it's not just about you creating. It's not about Kate. It really isn't. <laughs> Whatever anyone thinks is not about you. It is about this coven or this group that you've managed to construct where you create creativity for others. Thanks. Uh, well, first, it's important because when we grow up as adults, we, we, you know, our imaginations, and if we're not like these creative forces of nature uh, or quote successful at that creativity, right? Whatever that's supposed to mean, then our, we really don't access our imagination very much. We don't understand the, the power of utilizing the imagination as an adult. It, it goes into our politics, it goes into our communities, into our workplaces, our families, uh, problem solving. And um, I think it's a very under-recognized muscle that too many adults, at least here in America, are not using. So um, some of the programs we did, Andromeda Sisters, which is our annual gala, that was remote as well. And that um, is two parts where it, first of all, highlights women identifying playwrights and um, actors. And it's usually mono, this time we did monologues rather than scenes. Um, and then we, the second part is social justice, which is also a creative, brave uh, thing in our world that I think all of us um, uh, could stand up for a little bit more, whatever that might be in our lives. But we had Carrie Kennedy speak and um, an interview, Dahlia Lithwick interviewed um, two women, uh, Roberta Kaplan and Amy Spitalnik, who are- now, uh, Roberta Kaplan is like a very important litigator, isn't she? Yeah, they're suing Nazis. Like, that's what they're doing. Who isn't? Who isn't? Who, everybody should be suing Everybody, everybody should be, should be Nazis. And everybody, you know, should be giving their money to people, brave women who are suing Nazis. Are suing Nazis. Death threats. And by the way, Screw Nazis. Screw Nazis. Right? Okay. 
I think I don't think there's anyone who would say no to that. Oh, there's people that well, there, there is. Oh. But he's leaving the, his job in three weeks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you did Andromeda's sister. Andromeda's sisters. We did. We did an outdoor thing called Primavera. We videotaped it, which was a spring version of Zima, the <laughs> first one we ever did like that. That was right out of the bag, fresh off of COVID being a thing. Um, we did our. Did the, did you do the flags? You did the flags for the graduation. Oh yeah, we did the the flags where everybody could come and write a note or um, draw something, and we did this huge. It was humongous. We had like three hundred flags um, to decorate for the graduation ceremony at East Hampton High School. That's cool. Um, so that was a together apart. You know, I I love the challenge of finding ways to make art together, but apart right so it's safe and and um, we all kind of leave our little mark and go away and then see what everyone else has done I think that's really awesome and what I also think is great is that there's so much that that has needed to be broken down in our world in our communities in America about what it is that is successful art or entertainment like Art and entertainment are not necessarily the same thing at all, right? One can be right. the other, one can be the other, but they don't necessarily aren't the same thing. So how can we continue to find ways to experience art as a verb? And in doing so, let it bring communities together and uh, activate that part of our mind that like leads us to think out of these boxes that we make first. I don't have a box, like I, I'm sure I must have a box. You could probably tell me what my box is, but but like I hate the idea of thinking in a box. Like I I despise it. So if we can keep getting people to kind of percolate in their imagination and experience something that's joyful, and then they hopefully begin to understand there's much more to art and and theater than celebrities or that big Broadway ticket. I think there's so much unhooking about what success is in the arts and it's damaging to the, those making art, uh, making art and, and having dreams and, and doing really good work that just because you're not a household name doesn't mean you're not successful or talented. I think that speaks to though, without sounding too anti-capitalist, you know, when you, when you try and monetize something, you try and market something, uh, it's a different conversation than the creation yeah. conversation and that the creation conversation can, can celebrate things in a more fr frivolous or playful way because uh, conceptually there aren't the stakes of what uh, failure or success looks like. Yeah, or fitting your art into what can make money. Mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, you must, I mean, you know, there's pros and cons. I also look, I, I would love to be making more money at my work. Absolutely, but that's heart. not oh, where I and, leave. And, and right? I that's would not also what I tell you, with. somebody um, who has been on that ride out in the uh, entertainment industry, um, it does come at a certain Faustian cost. Where uh, the, the money, the, bet, the better and better the money can get, the more and more you're kind of compromising why you like creating to begin with. Uh, in some cases. Good lord! Uh, you know what? We we have gotten so into this yeah. that we really have avoided having a station break, and we need one right now. So we're going to take one, and then we're going to come right back. So you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy <laughs> and Alex Sokol. And we're coming to you on 88.3 WLIW FM, Long Island's only NPR station. We are listener supported. It's always a good time to make a donation. There's nothing too small or too big. And you can also stream us online at WLIWFM.org. We're going to be right back after this. This is John Landis, your host for the Jam Session Radio Hour on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Sunday nights at 8, bringing you the best in local live jazz. All recorded live right here at some great venues on the east end of Long Island. And please stay tuned to 88.3 WLIW-FM, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station.
are back. Sunday's on the East End, Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolov. And we're speaking with Kate Muth, a neopolitical cowgirls, just talking about creativity and how to spark it in others and, you know, and wanting that, like wanting to spark creativity in other people because it makes their life more more rich. Yeah, and 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 I, and I would just say also, Kate, like it's it seems like with all of these programs, you're really creating a, a framework and a platform that people know they can come into and in there have expressions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing too is like our, our arts ed uh, arm of our company is called Making Space, and it's that's just what it is. It's about um, you know the the. <sighs> It's sort of like the issues around BIPOC, right? Um, and those whose stories are allowed to be told at the highest level, whether in Hollywood or on Broadway. And it's not like, it's not my table, right? I don't own this table. The table, right. I, and that's one thing I always say with Neoplugo Cowgirls, I, I made this company so that everyone's welcome at the table, but it's not my table. It's the table of being a human being on this planet. I just happen to be at the table and I wanna hear your story. And so um, creativity, I think, like you said earlier, it, it is an act of bravery, even if it means for some women to come to January Girls or to come do a workshop, um, even remotely, they're terrified. Like it's terrifying for a lot of these women to go into this space. So first of all, the space has to be welcoming, right? The space has to be, it has to be clear that this space welcomes everybody. It's not gonna be me, Kate Mew, talking to you and telling you how to be creative. We're just gonna do this thing together and you're gonna discover what you're gonna discover. And I'm gonna discover, I'm, I'm always discovering new stuff about myself. Every day I'm a neophyte at being alive. So- Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm getting that you have this core of joy, which which is really clear right now. When you were like, you almost sounded excited about you know the pandemic. I don't want to make it sound like that. But you're like, yay, an opportunity to create in a new way. You know, and and, and bridge. I mean, uh, you know, when when London shut shut down because of one of their plagues, uh, and Shakespeare had to like leave and go to the countryside. That's when he wrote all his sonnets. How do I compare thee to a summer's day? So thou art more lovely and more temperate. By the way, right? Okay. Do not mess with me on the sonnets, yo. <laughs> and and he may have been writing that to a dude. But it might have been a woman writing it or for women um, <laughs> right. the other thing that we, we you had mentioned earlier kate and and i think this is a really big thing for everybody now like everything all the news is so heavy and and, and life seems to be very burdenous but but art is inherently playful and creation is inherently playful and childlike and i do think that uh this is a wonderful opportunity we're all kind of in the quagmire where we can't go out and do a gazillion things and go a million miles an hour to kind of be more playful and self-contained like a child where your acts don't have consequences they're just there for joy you know I, look i'm a dark sob sometimes i mean i think mostly you know there's a lot of darkness in there but i get to unload it constantly you know what i mean because i have this this car i drive which is creativity and look i i'm not pollyanna in any way shape or form but i do feel like i'm in the saddle of my life and like looking and being able to be in the moment with what's happening and and you know when you almost lose someone that you love and you're this that person's this close to death the the greatest thing you find is your feet on the earth. And you're like, oh, now really is all we have. You're speaking, like, you're speaking if you don't mind me saying, you're speaking about Josh's cancer, which is now in remission or cured, if I can say. And he's cured. I don't know how we got that other C word, but when we got the first C word, um, that Babadook came into our oh, life, we were shocked. We had no idea. And he was almost I, I, the doctors looked at me and go, we don't know why he's alive. His, hemoglo uh, his hemoglobin was so low, it doesn't support life. How did, that, how did that change you? So much gratitude. Oh my God, every day I'm living through gratitude and feeling like it's true, now is all we have. That's it. That's all that matters. 
right here in this moment. So use it well, right? And 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 I do get to unload it. Like, how do you, you said that some of the women who come into your programs, and I do want to say, you know, flat out that your programs aren't all just for women. You do things that, that are very inclusive, but the women that you said that come in are, are scared. First of all, why do they come in if they're scared? And how do you hold their hand and help them understand their own power? Yeah, well, they're scared um, and they're still there because they're actually essentially underneath that fear, they're brave. And um, that's the most important thing. And a lot of them say, I had to really talk myself into being here. Um, But then they get a little taste of it. It's sort of like, you know, in high school when kids get, they're in their first play and then they do it and then they're, they're, they're total, totally like not committed in the rehearsals. They're blowing it off. They're doing poorly, but then they do the show and they're like, I'm an actor. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Like, you know, it's sort of like that is like the women coming in and they're like, oh, they understand that they have their own wellspring of, of hope and joy and ability. And it's, we're so process driven. We are not product driven at all in, that's one of the uh, primary uh, methods we use in all of our arts ed is what's, what is happening right now in this moment. We're not, even with the dudes that I view and the girls gaze, which are the film programs in the East Hampton High School with um, Hampton's Film Festival. It isn't even about that final screening. It's about every step along the way, helping them find their voice. That is like the opposite of the world though, because you're saying we're process driven, not product driven. And yet our capitalist society would have you believe that we are product driven and the product. You can get there in a lot of different ways, doing a lot of different things, exercise, love making, reading, cooking. uh, But that when you are present in the moment, you let go of all those voices in your head, all those doors in your mind that you close over the years just burst open. And, and it's, it's a beautiful reptilian thing to make sense of it. That's the art form. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I don't think I have that at all yet, but I'm not trying to diminish that end products have value or we should sell them and we should try to, you know, make a name on them. I'm not diminishing that at all, but what I was noticing for many years is the pressure, not only on our youth, but on women, on men, on artists, is so rooted in the end product that we're missing every step along the way. And if we can find success every day, just in the act of showing up to the blank page, like Alec was saying, is you know so brave and hard and sometimes it's messy and sloppy and we get two words and they're awful. But if we can accept that along the way, then we really, I find, feel joy and happiness and, and purpose in our life. And we're committed to each and every day and not this end result that we don't even have yet. We don't, you have to know how to do the work to get that end result that we want to celebrate. And, um, and I find that, you know, Dudes I View started really because we had parents writing and calling me saying, what do you have for our sons? Because we have this terrible spout of boys killing themselves in our, in our community. And so if we start forgetting our boys, then we, we have big problems. Um, so if boys can, and girls, if, if in these experiences where it, they're in these spaces where whatever it is they're feeling, their fears, their vulnerability, their, what they love, what they're happy about, if they can share that with others, that in the hallway, they would have just ignored those people, there's profound resiliency to be had from that experience. And there's an inherent purpose that is created. And so instead of feeling like you have no purpose, those little moments are purpose unto themselves. Yeah, yeah. art can be a cope, often is a coping mechanism. So if we can give them how to tell their story creatively. It's a coping mechanism so that they can understand they don't have to uh, feel like they're the outsider. Their story matters. Or by feeling like an outsider, that that in and of itself allows freedom of commentary that, that uh, yeah. you know, somebody once said uh, in, a, in, a, in a pitch meeting I had years ago, that the thing that you'll be ridiculed for as a kid is what society will value for as a, as a grown up. And, and so it's, you need to uh, listen to that passion and, and realize that um, somewhere out there uh, is inherent value to it.
And we, we as adults have to lead the way in taking care of each other and valuing one another's uh, thoughts and ideas. And huh. I don't have to even understand, but if I can hear it and go, you need to keep telling that story, then that gives them another wing, right? To go off and have a little more courage and, and longevity in, in going forward with it and not turning on themselves. January Girls was started for immigrant girls um, because at a particular election that happened, <laughs> there was some very negative juju happening uh, probably all over, but I knew about it at East Hampton High School because August, my son was there um, and some terrible things were said to uh, Latino students. Um, and so we wanted uh, these girls in particular, just cause that was what we, you know, is our part of our big mission. We wanted them to know that there was a community here that cared about them, that supported them, that wanted them here, that cared what they had to say. A few years ago, Guildhall made the stage available for uh, Latino culture. And, and I was working with this slew of new girls at the high school and what I went in with naively, and I worked with people from all walks of life, homeless Vietnam vets. I've worked with really physically challenged uh, people. I worked, I, I, I look back on this and go, God, I was so naive. And what, what was I thinking? Um, that when I went in and I'm like, oh, we're gonna, let's tell you a story of how you came here, where you came from. And, and in my head, it was like, let's honor you and your homeland and welcome you and let's have everybody partake of, you know, the, the culture that you came from, which is very exciting to me. And right. it was so traumatizing to these girls to even think about this. Right. And that was the big holy moment for me of like, these stories that they have are incomprehensible to most of us average people, even people like us who deal with with all kinds of stories all the time. I was not, I feel stupid. I wasn't prepared. No, no, no but it's kind of, it's, uh, look, you know, you, as you're talking, I'm thinking about both the book and the film Life of Pi. And, and that was an example of how when, when reality is so horrific, uh, our, the only thing we can do is turn it into fantasy and turn it into art. Yeah. And in there actually work out some things. Yeah. Well, and so what, that's exactly right. And so uh, teaching artists know this, that we go into a room, we're not often smacked with that kind of like, oh, pivot, but, but we are always dealing with pivots as teaching artists in a room. Um, but what we did was a big pivot and it was great success at the end. So we went from all the things that they were, they were sitting on, like one girl was like, if I tell you what happened to me, I will cry and cry for days a man has ruined my life. This girl was 16. Another girl had her little sister abducted, at, uh, kidnapped at gunpoint and ransomed. That girl went, then came to our school. So these are big stories. So we turned it into, okay, we're going to, and these were girls from all over, right? These aren't just like, you, you know, another thing Americans don't understand is like, because you're Latina doesn't mean you're all from the same country and all get along yourselves because one is from Ecuador, one's from the DR. So, we found things that they like, what do you love? What makes you happy? And each of them were writing one line at a time and we were translating it. We had it said in Spanish as well as English and together they made this big poem that they all stood up on stage together and delivered one line at a time. And it was very hard for them. And when it was done, and it took, you could see it just took everything in them to have the courage to just say that one or two lines they had to say. But at the end, they went off stage and they were screaming and holding hands and jumping up and down. They were so full of joy because they did this. Like this was their American debut on the stage. It was incredible. So instead of running out the door and going, I'm not, this is too much, right? We found a way to tell their story that was resilient. And it's not about safe spaces, it's about resilient spaces because it's okay if we kind of break down, we're gonna be strong enough to still walk out that door or back in the door. And that's what we're trying to work is the bravery and the strength to say even what is hard to say, even if we have to say it using some other tactic, right? Using humor or using poetry or song. 
It's so amazing, Kate. I mean, I'm just thinking back to like the 70s and maybe like Jen bringing me to some acting <laughs> to do a play like, like, wait till she gets a load of you. I mean, that is not <laughs> what it was about. It was about saying your lines, hitting your mark, knowing where the light was, doing your little song, getting off the stage. And that is not, I mean, you're talking about art healing the spirit. Yeah. And bridging gaps and and that creativity, it seems like it sparks some kind of gland that, <laughs> that, that connects us all. It's so much bigger than when people think about, you know, oh, let's put on a show. That is not you. No. Well, and think about when the pandemic started, is that who were the first people in this area, in Zoom land, giving away their art for free and, and doing it? it? It wasn't, sorry, the Broadway producers. It was individual artists, musicians, so I want us to remember that when things get really, really tough, it's it's these other creatives, these really resilient creatives who are not necessary. They're not not to say we don't need money. We have to eat. We have to pay our rent too, but we are we're there when you need it, right? We're there when you need us. Um, and I think you know if you had to pivot so hard during the pandemic to figure out how to serve Black Lives Matter, for instance, then my question is, what, how were you doing things before, right? And, and why, and what, what work are you doing? And how does it serve the world? Why does the world need it? And I'm not saying that leads to everything being full of gravitas and heavy or not at all. Like what Alec was saying, humor is, is a huge healer. That's why I did, made Balbo, the goddess Balbo piece that I did when, this election happened before because I'm like, we need to laugh and we need to get in touch with that groin humor, that naughty. Yeah, you know, I don't know if this is uh, the right thing, but it's like in Russia, there's a, there's a phrase of the difference between a pessimist and an optimist is a pessimist fears something's gonna go wrong and an optimist knows something's gonna go wrong. Yeah, yeah. that's so true, right? And we go and do it anyways. <laughs> It's like, well, especially if you're like, if you're kind of like me and I think sock to a certain extent where I constantly think about my own mortality. I mean, it's kind of like the first thing I think of when I wake up is like, oh, is this the day I'm going to die? And if I say that to my husband, he wasn't raised that way, Eric. He's like, oh, don't talk about death so much. I'm like, but why? It just makes me enjoy life that much more. I mean, this could be my very last breath right now. It's like, what have I done? You know, what have I done today? What have I done in We're my life? We're dying every day, right? Like, oh, like every day. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one. It's one of the, the wonderful, uh, bizarre aspects of human nature. Is is millions of people die every day, and yet uh, we all live as if uh, we're going to live forever. I there's a, a culture who said, and I don't remember who said this, but um, we die three times. The first time is when we become aware that we can die, usually at a young age. The second is when we become, like Bridgie said. Uh, aware of and we acknowledge we're going to die one day and the third time is when our name is never said again mm. when damon runyon who wrote guys and dolls was dying of throat cancer he said you can keep your things of bronze and stone and give me one man to remember me once a year because we live on in the memories of others well or or and again i'll go back to this or uh your your legacy, which which art has the ability, in a in a in a very unique way to travel through time and space, so that we can talk about uh, whoever wrote those sonnets some you know five hundred years ago or whatever, uh, or four hundred years ago, um, and we can also talk about the paleo uh, artwork on, on caves and and it still has value. I do think that that's part of it, but rather than kind of shift in that place, I, we are in the beginning, a new cycle of rebirth, a cycle, you know, the, the, the days are getting longer, you know, the warmth is gonna come soon enough. And uh, with that, I think is also a, a need to celebrate expression, you know, and, and a need to actually dance and sing in whatever ways that we all do. Yeah, do you have some big celebration coming up, Kate? Anything after January girls and Zima? Um, I, yeah, I do actually. Um, I love that you call it celebrating too, because too many times I just refer to it as work. <laughs> um, but that's a much better way to think about it. Um, I have a piece that I've essentially been commissioned to make called 
the parade. And it was a piece that came to mind early on in the pandemic. Um, and it was just, you know, one of those uh, things that was just hanging out there in my brain and I really wanted to do it, but, you know, fun, we, we stopped fundraising for like four months because we turned our focus to helping our local food banks. Um, you know, art, I do think we need to live, but food, we need to really live, like literally live. Um, so I, I knew that I didn't really have the funds at the time to, to do a new project like this, but it's an outdoor project, um, socially distanced. It's called, a parade. It's called, it's called the parade. parade. The Parade, and it's a okay. new piece. Uh, it's using the classic Cajun Mardi Gras masks. I don't know if you've ever seen those before, but they're really yeah. terrifying and beautiful all at once. And it's a dance theater piece outdoors with the audience, let's say maybe 30 or 40, uh, each audience member in their own chair that are like 10 feet apart. So it's a giant circle of socially distanced people. And right now it's at six performers uh, and they're in these masks. And it's a exploration of humanity in isolation and then tiptoeing out into the world and finding connection again. And it's all set to music, so there's no text. It's, um, very, it's a very physical kind of thing. Um, and Melissa Berman <laughs> from East End Cares East End and Care. the yeah. Clamshell Foundation gave me substantial grant to make this happen so it's like like you were saying Alec about the one-handed clapping of like the work we make but does anybody see it hear it care <laughs> um that's how I feel in the best of days before the pandemic I always feel that way about neoplagal cowgirls and my work and like every day I kind of wake up and go why am I doing this again um because you know we often don't feel like if it doesn't translate into sensical financial quote success, then sort of like, uh, should I be doing this? Um, and so, yeah, it's really become about more about my community. But it sounds like, What's that? It also sounds like, I'm sorry, it just sounds like um, when you talk about, you know, uh, the Clamshell Foundation and East End Cares, it's so, you know, we're so incredibly lucky on the East End. Oh my because, God, Because so these nonprofits, it's not, I mean, yes, there's some competition for dollars, but then they help each other. They fund each other, yeah. which is just amazing. I, I don't know where else that happens. I mean, except in small towns. Yeah, it is. And, and then on the sidebar, a lot of people wrongfully think, oh, you're in the Hamptons, so there's so much money, it's easy to get. Well, mm, you know, it, it's these, these people like Clamshell and East End Cares um, and individual donors like the Derek Institute that uh, funds Dudes I View. It's these little particular people who are always giving that are the ones we can be really thankful for um, because it, it really is life support for those of us in the arts. And, um, you know, the only, the pandemic was interesting for me because it made me go, oh, now the rest of the world has to operate the way neopolitical cowgirls always operates, which is where are we gonna work? How are we gonna do this? Who wants us? Where can we, you know, outside, where can we make it happen? Like that's how we always operated. Not a whole lot changed for us in that regard, other than we got more industrious about, uh, you know, doing uh, live videos or, you know, recording, filming things. Um, but I also love about COVID <laughs> and the experience of art in this is that I feel like because we're doing so much uh, virtually, it's not theater, it's not television, it's not film. So let's not pretend like it is. It's this whole other place where I feel like it's trained or helped our audiences to be a little more forgiving about what it is to be the makers on the other side and what it takes to make it happen. And, um, and what people really look like, <laughs> right? Um, so I think, it, you know, we've learned so much as makers, as, but as audiences too, um, through this experience. And I think it's nothing but evolving. I mean, it might feel like everybody's digging their heels in because nobody likes change or to break their status quo, but it's really good for humanity, for all of us to be challenged and be thinking in new ways. Creativity. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good place for us to stop. Kate, where can people find um, find Neopolitical Cowgirls? Do you have a website? We do. We do. Uh, N like Nancy. NPcowgirls.org. We've been talking with Kate Muth, creative 
wizard dress of the East End. And uh, Alec, you look like you might have a couple of thoughts. Uh, yeah, well, you know, just random thoughts. Thank you so much for the talk, Kate. And, and again, everybody out there uh, that did listen, thank you for listening. Uh, you know, I, I know one of my takeaways uh, from this is uh, yesterday's a memory and tomorrow's a dream. So live today, live, participate, connect, and listen. I think one of the things, Kate, that, that uh, you uh, have said without saying it is you're giving people a chance to say something and you give them the dignity by listening. So I think listening is a part of art, experiencing it is. So everybody hopefully can take the time, uh, you know, indulge that inner, inner playful child inside of you, but also appreciate uh, and, and, and take the time to listen. So uh, wear your mask. Donate to WLIW. Donate to WLIW if you can, and uh, be well and stay well. There you stand in the room, all the eyes on you. I watch you take a deep breath, close your eyes. Words are your blood, they flow through your veins, the notes drip from your fingertips, like droplets of rain you can hear with every beat that your skin is screaming as you sing these melodies. Drop of rain you can